Lord, we just give this time to you. We trust you will speak. Lord, remove the distractions. Lord, speak in the ways that only you can. Holy Spirit, may this be your voice that is heard. Guard my mouth, God, from the distractions. Lord, bring a focus and clarity to my mind. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So this morning we are continuing our series in the book uh, or, or called The Imago Day, looking at God's answer to today's issues. We've been talking about all these different issues, and today we're talking about the issue of a sexual ethic. What does the scripture say about the ethics of sexuality to the church today? And the issue is this. Your strongest desires are an appetite to be satisfied. Your strongest desires are an appetite to be satisfied. This is part of what it means to be the modern self. Think of the famous Nike saying, just do it. We think of follow your heart. You think of all the language and the, and the songs that we sing that are about being the best you, about, about as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, do what your heart says. Follow into that. Shakespeare uh, says in one of his plays, I should know this, but I'm not a huge Shakespearean person, um, but he says, be true to thine self, to thine own self. Funny story is the character in Shakespeare that says that is actually a fool in that story. Yet this is a part, hear this church, as we recognize this issue, that we have this appetite that we are created with, these longings and especially sexual longings, that our society, the air that we breathe, it's like a fish in water. It's deep within the place that we live and the time that we're in says that that appetite should be satisfied. Now it should be satisfied in a way that doesn't hurt or abuse another. I'm very thankful for a lot of the rising call, the, the me too, the importance of consent and in sexual relationships and, and, and the rising awareness of the abuse and the trauma that happens in humanity. But yet, this issue, as we look at this and we read from Corinthians, I think it's important to have an honest moment to say this. We sang, I surrender. We sang, tis so sweet. To, to trust in Jesus. We declared my only comfort in life and death is that I belong to Jesus. And yet the ways of Jesus are a little different than the ways of today. And sometimes, I think especially in moments like this, God's ways can be hard to understand and hard to accept. We see this today. And hear this, this is not just a 20th century, 21st century issue. This has been an issue, a challenge to the church for all time. You look in the book of Corinthians, it was a challenge 
in the letter that we're reading. Paul was writing to a church in Corinth where there was a lot of other practices that ran contrary to the ways of Jesus, contraries to the ways of God. And the church at that time was saying, we can have liberty because of the grace of God. So, so do, it's okay to be a part of these things. There's, there's freedom in Jesus. And Paul here in verse 12, he's dealing with this issue. He says, all things are lawful for me. I'm free in Christ, but not all things are helpful. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be, hear this, dominated by anything. Remember that issue, the desires, these strong desires of our heart, our world says are to be satisfied, are to be taken. Paul says the body is not meant for sexual immorality. That word sexual immorality, it's a word in Greek called porneia. That Hebrew reader that knew the Levitical law would know that when he talks about this, he's talking about the sexual ethic of the Bible that is clear and concise and doesn't change from the beginning to the end. And it's a sexual ethic that values the sanctity and the sacredness of marriage and says that any sort of sexual activity outside of a covenantal relationship of a husband and wife is falls under sexual immorality. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when it came to the LGBTQ conversation. But I find it convicting that we have conversations about LGBTQ, same-sex attraction, gay, transgender. We, we can be quick to say, follow this, yet. For many of us, we have challenges and struggles with the very same sexual immorality today. This is a part of this challenge. And do we trust Jesus? Do we trust his ways to be true? Do we trust this to be for us? Seems to me this issue, your strongest desires are an appetite to be satisfied. God's answer to this, hear this, and this is where we're gonna land here, I pray that it sings by the end of this time, is that our deepest, I did not say strongest, our deepest desire is satisfied in Christ. And we gotta dig. And we gotta dig. I pray by the end of this you know what I mean when I say we gotta dig. Here in this passage, Paul's writing about this. Look at verse 13b. He's already kind of alluded to the sayings of today that are saying just follow your heart, just follow your appetite as long as nobody is hurt. Partake. Paul says this in the second part of 13. He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. Once again, this is a hyperlink to the sexual ethic of Scripture. He says, but it is for the Lord. And the Lord for the body, there's this sacredness to it. Where does, and he, he continues on the train of thought here. He says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 
Paul's talking about this answer, that as we think about a sexual ethic for today, that our deepest desire is satisfied in Christ, that as we confess that we belong to him, must be the bedrock of this response. And so as we think about this, as we root this in this idea of saying that all of my appetite is ultimately satisfied in the very person and work of Jesus Christ, Paul establishes this, and then he helps us, I believe, in three ways to help us understand what this means for our sexual ethic today. And the first is this. When it comes to a sexual ethic, our sexual ethic is not about who you are, it's whose you are. It's not about who you are, it's whose you are. This goes back to the first sermon I gave when we talked about, it's not about being own, owning yourself. It's about saying that the, the truth of a transcendent God who I believe created mankind, it is best to be his. It is best to say I live under your rule and your reign. And I was created in your image with a purpose. It's not about who you are when for Christians, our worldview says it's about whose I am. It's an identity issue. Paul writes this, I believe in Corinthians. Look at what he says. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? He just talked about when you are baptized, when you become a believer, you become a part of the body of Christ. You are associated, you are with Jesus himself. He says, shall I then take the members of Christ? Interesting thing here. In our individualistic world, we are always wanting to look at things personally individualistically. Paul here says, yes, when you become a Christian, you are personally grafted in to the body of Christ. You, are, you have a personal right relationship with Christ, but you also are a part of a community. You also are a part of a faith community. And you can see him here say this. It's not just about belonging to Christ. It's also about belonging to each other. He says, this way he says, and then make them members of a prostitute. He says, I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute. Never. In other words, he's saying, when we go outside of our sexual ethic of what God is saying, he's saying, not only does this affect me, it also affects the gathered church. It also affects our witness. It's also something that we are a part of. And Paul here, he says, never, exclamation point, it says, church, when we think about this, do you not know? This conversation is not about who you are, it's whose you are. A book that really has really helped me through this idea, if you, wanna, if you love the Heidelberg Catechism, you love this idea of not belonging, I would encourage you to pick up this book. It's by a guy named Alan Noble. He wrote, if Paul is correct, and we are not our own, we do not have the freedom to use another human being's body as a tool to consume intimacy like we consume any other mass-produced product, regardless of how efficient and safe it might appear. Because our limits are not determined, hear this, 
Our limits are not determined by inefficiency or measurable harm or even the law, but by the one to whom we all belong, God. It's not about who you are, but about whose you are. Paul writes about this in Romans 6. He says, we were therefore, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. What Paul is saying here is he's saying oftentimes when it comes to this argument here in, in, in the Corinthian church, they're saying that they're trying to disconnect body from soul. They're trying to say, my body here is mine in this, and God, yeah, eternity, I'll be with him, and our confession is my body and soul belong to him because I've been raised with him. This is why Paul says that the Lord destroys because the, the people of that day used the illustration of, well, if you're hungry, the stomach is meant for food. He says, he says they're using this illustration, and Paul's saying that's talking about a finite Illustration where we're talking about infinite souls. There's this mingling of souls that happens. And for Christians, we believe that this is infinite, sacred connection that happens in sexual intimacy. Paul writes about this call to association with Christ, communion with him in Colossians 3. It says, if then you've been raised with Christ, if you confess these truths, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I belong, it's not about who you are, but whose you are. Second, when it comes to our sexual ethic here in Corinthians, Paul is telling us, it's not a sexual taking, it's a sacred giving. It's not a sexual taking, it's a sacred giving. What do I mean by that? Look at verses 16 through 18. Paul says, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You see, Paul is alluding. He's taking us back into the garden. He's taking us back into our design about being designed as image bearers and he's talking about the moment in Genesis when Adam and Eve were created. When Adam sees Eve and he breaks out in song and, and, and sings this beautiful song over her. Look at what it says in uh, Genesis chapter two, verse 23. It says, and the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast. That word for hold fast is to cleave. And they shall become one flesh. 
And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. See, this idea of this sexual intimacy created in a covenant, created where two beings make promises to each other, promises of giving, promises of commitment that are not about satisfying my own appetite, they're not about taking all the things that I want, but are, hear this, about giving love, about giving love to my partner, about giving love to the faith community. And we believe, because we believe the scriptures to be true, we believe the word to be God's word, we believe that God is good, we believe that this is a part of our design. Once again, this is hard to accept, hard to understand. Jackie Hill Perry, uh, author, really helped me with this. She says, God's commandments are so linked to his character. He is good. So his commandments are also good for those who love him. The world needs to see that his commandments are a good thing because they come out of a good God. It seems to me in our age, if the church could have a sexual ethic that is not about sexual taking, it's about sacred giving, this would change communities. This would change the evil industry of pornography that is rampant, that all of us have access to instantly, that many of us struggle with, that is about taking, that is about an appetite. And Paul is saying here, listen, God is not down on sexual intimacy. Hear this, he created it. Hear this, it's a gift. Hear this, it's a beautiful, glorious, I can testify. That's where you laugh. But it's a sacred giving. It's something that is meant to be in the context of a man and a woman making these promises to each other. This is a part of these beliefs that we have. So our sexual ethic is not about who you are, it's about whose you are, it's not a sexual taking, it's a sacred, sacred meaning given from God, his presence in this giving. And sec- third, it is not about desires, it's satisfied belonging. It's not about desires, it's satisfied belonging. I love where Paul goes with this here. Because the elephant in the room at this point, if we're all being honest, I pray we're all being honest, is that right now, Many of us, most of us, realize I'm falling short. Maybe thinking of sin in my own life, trauma, mistakes that I've made, ways that I've sinned against the Lord, ways that I've been abused or abused. 
remembering that Jesus said, maybe I said, you know what, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't, I haven't had sex outside of marriage, but then I remember that Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you are committing adultery in your heart, so therefore, I fall into this as well. And this feels hard. But brothers and sisters, the gospel is for us. God's grace is for us. Look at how Paul ends this, because I believe he anticipates you and I needing his grace. He anticipates you and I recognizing that we are prone to wander that we are prone to fall, that we are prone to fall into rhythms and addictions that are not the way we've been designed because sin has distorted the image. Because Genesis 2 goes on and mankind falls and sin has entered in and we have this distortion of us. And many of us have rhythms and struggles in our own lives that we battle on the daily. And Paul says, do you not know, my dear beloved, that your body, hear this, is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Within you. He says, whom you have from God. You, look at this. This is what we've been confessing. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, because you once were distorted, you once were an image bearer who were following the appetites of your heart, but because Jesus Christ came down, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death with all my sin, all my issues, that was the price that was paid. Glorify God in your body. Find your satisfaction in him and his ways. This is so true because many of us probably right now are wondering, well, what do I do with these longings that I have? What do I do these struggles, this loneliness that I have. C.S. Lewis wrote this about these longings. He said, preachers are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Humans feel sexual desires. Well, there is such a thing as sex. But if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Our confession is that we were made for another world, that our only comfort in life and death is found in Christ. That like the woman at the well, when Christ comes to her and he meets her and she's been looking for love in all the wrong places and all these different men, he says, come to me for I will give you water that you will never be thirsty again. 
This is what the gospel teaches us. First Thessalonians 4, 3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's a fancy word for your growing in Christ. You're seeing Christ himself doing something in you that you, because of what Jesus is doing, you abstain from sexual immorality. Look at this is the opposite of what our culture says, which is to satisfy the appetite. This is the will of God, your sanctification. You abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Why? Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and distortion into his marvelous light. Once you were a people, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Seems to me, as we think about this, once again, what is the answer to our issues, brothers and sisters? Christ, that I am not of this world, but I belong to him, and he's called me to something higher, something that is better for me. You see, our deepest desires are satisfied in Christ, and we gotta dig. Now, what do I mean by dig? I'm reminded of Jesus talks about the beauty of the kingdom of God in Matthew chapter 13. He says this, Matthew 13 verses 45 and 46, he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. We're all looking. We all have this appetite. But then on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Seems to me that our deepest longing must be satisfied in Christ. We gotta dig, we gotta search, we gotta believe these confessions. And so, the first part of dig, it's an acronym. Listen, this is just a fancy way for you to remember a memorization tool, D-I-G. First, deny disordered desires. Deny disordered desires. Augustine said, sin is disordered love. Sexual desires are not necessarily sinful. Acting on other desires are not necessarily evil, but when they are disordered, when they're out of the order that they were created for, this is where we find ourselves stuck. And so we must be a people that deny this, these disordered desires because we trust that our heavenly Father knows what is best for us. 
We trust that the transcendent God who created us has given us the gift of sexual desires and an appetite. And, and, and it's, listen, this is not about starving ourselves. It's not about starving ourselves. Jesus is the one who fulfills us and someday will, <coughs> Lord willing, he fulfills us and, 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 and feeds us. But it's like, let's say my daughter Ruth, let's say that I got her for her birthday a chainsaw. And let's just say like, hey Ruth, this is a very powerful tool. You could cut down the tree. Happy birthday. You be you, trust your heart, just go nuts with that. Here's, an, here's a gas can. Would I be a good father if I did that? And she's running that chainsaw and she's going after the cat and going after the brothers, right? We have a good father who's given us some incredible gift called sex. Seems to me it's been given in the context of a covenantal relationship between a husband and a wife because that is where it thrives. And outside of that, it's kind of like running around with a chainsaw. We gotta deny those disordered desires. But secondly, hear this, it's not, like I said, sometimes in the church we get so much into saying, starve yourself. Hear this, indulge in Christ. Indulge in Christ. Do we really believe that he is our satisfaction? Do we really believe that in Christ he will give us the desires of our hearts? He will provide for us everything we ever thought, we ever, ever asked or imagined in his sovereignty. Indulge in Christ. It's not just about denying the disordered desires, it's also about indulging in Christ. I loved thinking about this, you see there's these three diets when it comes to sexual ethics in the church. One is starvation, another is like fast food. It's like, you know what, I'm hungry, I'm gonna go get some McDonald's, some Taco Bell, get that Chalupa Supreme. It's the best thing on the menu, you should try it out. And yet, when we find ourselves living with those kind of diets, we find ourselves feeling sick. We find our bodies wrecked. And yet, in the story of Scripture, we've been called to a banquet. We've been called to communion with Christ. We've been called into covenantal community. We've been called to indulge in Christ himself. I like that word, indulge because it's like almost out of bounds, but you can't be out of bounds with Christ. So we deny disordered desires, we indulge in Christ, but don't miss this, we give redeemed love. I love how Paul ends this, he says, brother, beloved, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Spirit you are not your own, you were bought with a price. 
because of grace, I want to be, we are a people who give love. And I don't think this is just talking about sexual intimacy, although I do think that marriages need to hear this, that in our marriages, it should be more about giving than about taking. It should be about thinking about how can I give than how can I take. But in general, we give redeemed blood. I love that word redeemed. It is a word that means bought back, restored. And so we are a people who give redeemed love. John Mark Comer says, our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires. It's give redeemed love wanted to close by just highlighting on an interaction that Jesus has in his Gospels. Because it seems to me as we think about this sexual ethic, for many of us there's some questions of do I really accept this? Or is this just an ancient truth? I'll still follow God, I'll still do these things. Those are questions you have to struggle with. But there's this interaction that Jesus has with this guy, his name is Zacchaeus. Scriptures tell us that he's a tax collector. And tax collectors in those times, they, they were the scum. Like, 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 like they were the last person that should get the grace of God. And it says that Jesus is walking and it says that Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man. That's actually how the song goes. And he couldn't see Jesus, so he climbs up a sycamore tree. And he sees Jesus, and Jesus has all these crowds around him, and Jesus looks and he sees Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down from here, because I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus is like, are you looking at me? And all the crowd is saying, whoa, Jesus is going to his house? Jesus is going to, to his house? Jesus, the rabbi, is going to his house, and Jesus says, yeah, because I came to save the lost. Because I came to save the sinners. And hear this, on days like this, it can be hard to hear these truths, and we can find ourselves beat up, and I want you to hear this, church. Jesus is telling you, I'm coming to your house today. You can find satisfaction in me. I will commune with you. I will eat with you. And after we experience that, I believe with all my heart that the very presence of God, his spirit does something in us. Like Zacchaeus who then says, because of his relationship with Jesus, he says, I'm going to live differently. He says, I'm going to give twice of what I took from other people. I'm gonna pay back the debt. And when it comes to a sexual ethic, listen, it's about trusting Christ. I believe today, Jesus is saying to you, I wanna come over. I wanna go cheer for the Bengals. Maybe the Rams if you're Brian. 
want to be with you. You belong to me. In a few moments, we're going to sing a song that says this. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Listen, for many of us, maybe today, the Spirit is telling you there's some things in your life that maybe don't align with the sexual ethic of Scripture. There's some stuff that happens even amongst us that doesn't line up, and I need to redirect, and I need to make some adjustments in my life. And I will, because I believe that Jesus is the best way. And he's inviting you over and inviting you to experience that. Don't miss him. Don't miss him. Don't miss that invitation to communion with him. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to be a people that dig. That you would help us to be a people that recognize that there are some disordered desires in our hearts because of the distortion of sin. But Holy Spirit, I pray you would help us to order our lives in a way that is your way. And I pray, Lord, that as we do that ordering God as you do that in us God and we dig and we deny God the disorder I pray God that we don't miss the indulging I pray Lord that we don't miss that you are with us in that denial that you are with us in that recovery that you are with us in that struggle that you took all that on on a cross that you died for it that you said the most important two words of human history it Three words, it is finished. And Lord, as we indulge in you, I pray that we would give your redeemed love out. I pray that we would look, that we would think about how we can do this. I pray, God, for all the pain in this room. I pray for all the, the heartache in this room around this issue, God. I pray for the marriages that are crumbling. I pray for the relationships, the loneliness, the, all of that. Jesus, I, I, I don't have answers to that beyond you, so I pray, Jesus, you right now in this moment speak. I pray, Jesus, that these words that we say, that you are the satisfaction of our deepest desires, I pray we feel that and know that, believe that. I pray you put us in faith community where others tell us that. I pray that we know that we are called not to be alone, but to belong to you and to your church. Help us, Lord. Speak into us, Lord. We give this time to you. Cannot wait to sing to you. In your name we pray, Jesus our Messiah, amen.